0: on this episode of Comedy Rewind, is there any movie that seems like more fun to be involved with than Step Brothers? Is there a better example of a successful one joke comedy? Is this the peak of Will Ferrell and John C. Riley's collaborations? All of this and more on Comedy Rewind.
1: Rewind. Rewind? Push Rewind. I thought this was a comedy show.
0: What's going on guys, welcome back to 8 Bits Comedy Rewind. We are powered by Audio-Technica as we re-watch the great comedies of the 1990s and 2000s. I'm your host, John Peck, and joining me, with so much room for activities, <laughs> we've got Jamie Apps. How, how you doing, Jamie?
1: Good, thanks. How about yourself?
0: Yeah, pretty good. It's good to have you here. You're a very, uh, I guess, I would say learned, knowledgeable person when it comes to popular culture. And um, I, I, is this the first time you've been on this particular show? I'm trying to remember. It
1: is. Yes, yeah, this, okay. this is the first there you time because
0: I've obviously interviewed you on Putting in Work, and I just did uh, Paper Girls, like talking about the, the series Paper Girls on your show. What, why don't you tell the, the listeners that may have missed those particular uh, pieces of content about what you do, and uh, I, there's quite a few different things, so it's probably good to give an overview.
1: Uh, so yeah, I run Pario Magazine, which is a physical print magazine covering different creatives and their creative journeys and basically exploring where their desire to create comes from. And then on the podcast side of the world, I've got the commentary booth, which is basically a movie and TV recap show and reviews to try and help people find their next viewing treat.
0: Very cool, very cool. And you just had Logan Paul, of all people, on uh, on one of these shows? So yes. That's, that's pretty cool. A Bit of a step down to, to come and talk to me, but it, that's okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the last uh, two weeks of the podcast have just blown my mind with the guests I've been able to get. I got uh, Will Ospreay from New Japan Pro Wrestling one week and then the next week... Logan Paul was offered up as an option to promote Crown Jewel, which mm. just happened. So I was <laughs> like, okay, yep, I'm gonna, I'm gonna open up the schedule and fit both of these in. So I was pretty stoked with those.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I I didn't even realise that Logan Paul was wrestling now, but I guess that's a a thing.
1: Yeah, well, this was his third match, right. but like I spoke about in the podcast, he has blown people away with his athleticism and just how much he he's, like, captured what it is to be a, a pro wrestler. Like, mm. he's just got so much charisma combining that with the athleticism. And he's, as for someone that's only had three matches, yeah. he looks like he's been doing it for 10 years. I mean,
0: that, that guy's going to have quite a biopic made about him one day, I think, because the tra- career trajectory from, you know, YouTuber to celebrity boxer to, to wrestler to who knows what what's next it's it's pretty wild
1: well i think from the sounds of things uh vine might be coming <laughs> back and that, i think that's right. his next big
0: okay well play. we aren't here to talk about logan paul we're here to talk about 2008 Step Brothers. uh one of you know we say one of the great comedies of the 1990s and 2000s this is definitely up there i think it's uh, something that I've had penciled in since I, I moved to the 2000s era for Comedy Rewind. And, yeah, I had a, a lot of fun re-watching this. What are your personal experiences and, and like, memories of, of Step Brothers? Did you watch it at the movies? Is, is it something that you've rewatched a lot over the years?
1: Uh, so I've definitely rewatched it a lot over the years. It's, like, my go-to, I just want to put on some silly movie that I can sort of switch off and mm. chill out with. Uh, some of the others like a, a super bad is another option. Talladega Nights is a, a third option, but Step Brothers is always very high on that list. Uh, in terms of when I first watched it, it would have been in a share house while I was at uni, and for the longest time, I thought the movie opened with five minutes of black and white footage <laughs> because we had some dodgy bootlegged <laughs> copy that went from black and white and then this. When the couples like right. meet, it goes to color. And I was like, okay, that just is how the movie opens. And then when it popped up on Netflix and didn't have the black and white section, I was like, oh, that's not that's a thing. That's so okay.
0: funny. Oh, that's wild. To think that it would be an artistic decision, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> like the Starter Clerks 2 or something.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like when I watched it on Netflix for the first time, I was like, huh. So that was just the (laughs) random bootlegged copy that we had.
0: Okay, I love it. Yeah, I've definitely rewatched. I might have seen it uh, five times over the years, which is probably like there wouldn't be like a million movies that I've watched that many times. It's it's probably a short list, Um, but it's definitely there's something about the the way that this movie's scripted where it's almost like a really long or series of like SNL sketches. (laughs) Where you have, yep. you know, to, to some extent it's one, the same joke for the whole whole movie, which is two man babies that uh, just can't grow up and are really dumb and um, stuck mm-hmm. in the rest of development. So it's, I'd love that, like what you said about just being able to throw it on in the background. It's perfect for that because it has that nature where it's like one kind of ridiculous scene and scenario after another. Um, which we'll, you know, we'll get into some of those specific ones. Um, but I love the story behind this movie. So it was directed by Adam McKay, who has been a long time collaborator with Will Ferrell up until recently, um, produced by Jimmy Miller and Judd Apatow. And you could definitely sense the Apatow connections here, um, Will Ferrell and Apatow worked, and Adam McKay worked on Anchorman together. There's some of that DNA in here with the the cameos and, you know, I Love You Man was, um, a few years later, a lot of the same, like, bit actors that pop up, I've noticed, because we just recently did that on this podcast. Um, But then, you know, other than the Apatow influence, it was written by Will Ferrell and Adam McKay from a story concept that was conceived by Will Ferrell, Adam McKay, and John C. Riley, So the fact that those three guys kind of spitballed this idea and seemingly continued to develop it on the set because there's so much of an improvisational approach to the comedy that um, Adam McKay would be telling, like sp- throwing ideas at the um, at the actors, like say this or try this or, or that kind of thing. And on top of that, you've got Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, who are just like masters of improv. And um,
1: Yeah, every movie those two are in together has yeah. a lot of those improv scenes where I think they go in with one direction for the movie and it could be totally different by the, the end of filming.
0: Yeah, and, and they've also got those jokes that they just throw out there and you know that they tried like 10 variations of it. Um, like Talladega Nights has, came out just before this, which I think was their first movie together. Um, and it's another example with, with that kind of humour, like... Whether it's, you know, two big reds or one of those kinds of scenes where they're just, you know, throwing out a random line. You know that there's a lot of variations that they had to pick in the editing bay.
1: Yeah, I think they're just trying to make each other laugh (laughs) half the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I watched the outtakes for this today and it was a lot of fun. Um, And the deleted scenes too because they didn't always, like, I guess, break when they were doing those different variations. Um, but there's a really great oral history of this movie on The Ringer, um, and the the idea that spawned the film was that one of those three guys just said, "You know what would be funny? Bunk beds." And then from the concept of bunk beds as like a visual image with <laughs> Will Ferrell and John C. Riley in bunk beds, like that really does sum up. <laughs> how ridiculous this film is but it's that idea of just grown-ups who still live at home and I think that you know from there it spread into this thing with you know Adam McKay's character and the the parents relationship being kind of the through line that goes from the beginning to the end Um, so I just love that uh, it started with such a ridiculous simple concept and they clearly had like so much fun Making this, I think that's one of the reasons that, like, if you, you know, if you go do any level of research, like on Wiki or whatever, you can see that they've talked about doing a sequel um, for a long time, and I don't think it's ever going to happen at this point, but it was even rumoured, like, a few years ago, and I think that has to be not based on, like, oh, this is a movie that needs a sequel, just how much fun they had making it, and you can really feel that kind Mm -hmm. of...
1: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, like, you can... I think that's what makes it special as well, because because they were having so much fun, it just adds to the comedy and then that I think that's what makes the movie special in itself. Mm. Like I think some of their other movies that they've done together, I think the, the Sherlock Holmes yep. one that they did recently, I don't think they had as much fun making that and then that comes across in the movie and makes the movie worse. Yeah,
0: yeah. And they haven't done anything together since that well, it was four years ago now. But yeah, it's it's funny to to read that oral history and just see how many of these things came from their experiences. Whether it was like a kid in the street that you know picked a fight with an adult who who ran away, or or like um, I think John C. Riley said that his older brother had a drum kit that he wasn't allowed to touch, and he'd always want to as soon as as soon as his brother left the room. And then Will Ferrell said that his his dad built bunk beds in for, for for him and his. Uh, siblings, so there's a lot of uh, <laughs> reality, even though it is seeming, it seems so ridiculous when you're watching it. Um, the Rotten Tomatoes score for this film, Jamie, we're going to look at how it performed at the time. Um, so it was made for $65 million, did $128 million at the box office, which is a lot lower than I would have guessed, like lower than uh, probably... I'm guessing Talladega Nights and some of the other Will Ferrell hits of that decade. How do you think the critics received it? What's your guess for the percentage?
1: Hmm. I can see this one sort of being like really middling around the like 65, 70s.
0: It's coming in at a 55, rotten. So I was, yeah, I was surprised by that. I I thought that um, coming off, Obviously, Anchorman and Old School and um, I mentioned Talladega Nights was, I think, just the year before this. I would have thought that people were all in on the um, on the Will Ferrell and John C. Riley train all aboard. But uh, I guess maybe they were thinking that it was getting a bit old by that point. Uh, and, you know, it's, I guess, critics, yeah.
1: And this is probably the, the silliest yeah, of those yeah, movies
0: def- as well. This, this movie doesn't exist in, like... Our rea- reality, like it's, it exists in like a Saturday Night Live sketch show reality where, uh, you know they can beat up a bunch of kids and <laughs> get on the yeah, like. There's, there's the, no consequences. Yeah, they can they can get on the merry go round and just hold out their fist and and punch like twenty ch- children in the face, um, and and like the way that like when they're sleepwalking and just like that's that's not what sleepwalking is like in real life. Like that that's not. You know, there's nothing grounded about this film uh, or even just oh, like the way yeah, like, that they behave is like, you know, there's no medical reason. There's no like neurological reason that they, they don't have disabilities. They're just really immature. Idiots. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Like my my younger brother used to sleepwalk and he would literally just walk out to the lounge room and just turn him back around <laughs> and go back to bed. It was, it was yeah. weird. He also used to sleepwalk with his eyes open, which was even weirder.
0: Uh huh, yeah.
1: Because he'd just walk out and stand there with his eyes open, stare at you blankly, and you'd be like, (laughs) uh, what are you doing? Just turn around and go back to bed, please. Yeah,
0: didn't put cushions in the oven.
1: No, no cushions in the oven, no handbags in the freezer.
0: Yeah, apparently there's a deleted scene, or maybe they never actually filmed it, but originally there was going to be a part where they went and went to like a 7 Eleven and robbed it in their sleepwalking state. (laughs) <laughs> Which take, takes Jeez. it from like a you know a short thing to like a fifteen minute segment. So can can see why they got yeah. That's cut. a that's an escapade <laughs> indeed. I've got a couple of critic uh, comments here from the Rotten Tomatoes page. The uh, Dispatch in Lexington, North Carolina said, "We've been down this path before with Will Ferrell, and at this point, it just feels like we're walking in circles." So I can see, you know, that similar to the comment I made before. Maybe they were just wanting to see something different from Will Ferrell. I think in hindsight, we can all agree that, uh, you know, this was like a golden age for for his career. So, you know, give us all he's got pretty much and we'll take it. Um, Michael Compton from Bowling Green Daily News had a positive review and said, Step Brothers obviously isn't the most complex screenplay ever written. But uh, Will Ferrell, Adam McKay, and John C. Riley managed to milk plenty of comedy out of essentially a one-joke movie, and I think that's that's a fair fair yeah, comment. Fair it's it's uh, it's it's basically one joke, but it's a very funny joke.
1: <laughs> and it, yeah, it's told in a lot of like different twists and different ways, which I think helps.
0: Yeah, and it's and it's not like it's just John C. Riley and Will Ferrell. Like, there's a lot of. Uh, comedy coming from supporting cast and they're all excellent like even the parents who are basically the straight man they're very funny as well Um, Mary Steenbergen who also plays Will Ferrell's stepmother mother in Elf and uh, Richard Jenkins who I don't think I've seen in a lot of comedy but does really well
1: yeah I've seen him in a lot of movies where he's just always someone's dad he's just always a dad look about him
0: (laughs) Like he, in this movie, he plays a doctor. He looks like a doctor. Like he looks like <laughs> like someone that uh, has a den and a typewriter and all that stuff. Um, Jamie, two thousand eight, September eighteenth or something. This movie came out. What do you reckon was on the Aria charts at number one when Goodness. it hit cinemas? I would have no idea. Any guesses? If you can think Whoa. back to uh, what was it fourteen years ago?
1: You're pretty into to music. <laughs> yeah, I'm terrible with music release dates. Oh, 2008. I was thinking Britney Spears, but then I realized, no, that's way past Britney Spears. Day. A little.
0: It's kind of the next era of uh, pop stars, of blonde pop stars, if that helps at all. Is it like a
1: Lady Gaga or something?
0: It is a Lady Gaga or something. Poker face? <laughs> so it's a good guess. It's just dance. And then the following month... It was pink, so what? Then we had Kings of Leon, Sex on Fire for about a month, and then Lady Gaga, Poker Face. So you were about no, th- three months early on, on Poker Face, but a good year for Gaga. Yep. <laughs> okay. Um, the next segment, what have you done for me lately? So the interesting thing here, which I think we can kind of turn into somewhat of a um, commentary by the time we're done, is that all of the main cast of this film their last project was a tv series no no movies really to be seen so john c riley there's winning time which was the series about the 1980 los angeles lakers i really liked winning time i don't know if you checked it out on um on hbo or binge over here I, but
1: I, I haven't yet
0: it's um you know he plays dr jerry bus who it was it, or was the owner of the Lakers, and the, the, there's actually an interesting story there. He he does really well in that role, but Will Ferrell wanted that role, and Adam McKay kind of was the showrunner, and I think must have like told Will that he could do it, but then changed his mind because John C Reilly was his original choice, and now John C Reilly, uh, not sorry, now Adam McKay and Will Ferrell aren't on speaking terms, and they've like dissolved the company that they had together really so you know all these films I've done together Anchorman, Step Brothers, <clears throat> Talladega Nights you know years and years of working together and I guess friendship that's uh, at the moment um you know Adam McKay's done interviews talking about how he regrets it and he's not sure if Will Ferrell will talk to him again so it's quite dramatic you, you know you don't really think of um I guess, Will Ferrell being that emotional, because he's such a comedic uh, gem, but uh, yeah, pretty cut up about that one in particular, but he, you know, went on to do The Shrink Next Door, which uh, was a pretty good turn for him in more of a dramatic role, so m- maybe that's like a sign that, you know, between how passionate he was about getting to do Winning Time and missing out on it, to go then going and doing The Shrink Next Door, which, he's funny because he's Will Ferrell, but it's a Straight dramatic role, so I guess maybe he's trying to turn into this more serious direction.
1: Yeah, i I enjoyed the Shrink Next Door. Um, mm, me too. With that winning time like situation, i I can see I can probably see why he's a little bit upset because it didn't just go to another random actor; like it went to <laughs> a friend. Like that's very mm. weird.
0: Yeah, it doesn't sound like there's any bad blood between. John C. Riley and Will Ferrell. Um, and I think John C. Riley was a little bit uncomfortable about it, but he, he's, like, perfect for the role. Like He looks way more like the, the the guy than Will Ferrell does, and he's one of the best things about the series. So, um, you know, it's hard to watch it and think, yeah, Will Ferrell should have been cast in this, but, yeah, it is, a, it is an uncomfortable yeah, position. Yeah, it's such an
1: awkward situation.
0: Yeah. So... I was looking at his IMDb page, and he's got some kind of role in the Barbie movie with uh, Ryan Gosling and um, Mar- Margot Robbie. But interestingly, like his last kind of dumb comedy that we know him for was U- the Eurovision movie in 2020. And prior to that, it was the Sherlock Holmes one that you mentioned with John mm. C. Riley. So in the past four years whether it's a COVID thing or whether it's just the way things have shaken out with scheduling, he's only done these two comedies, which that that plus the the shrink and the winning time thing makes me wonder if, yeah, he's just kind of moving away. Maybe it's not as funny when someone's in their 50s, 60s, to do the same kind of like Arrested Development kind of thing that I guess Adam Sandler's kind of faced the same. Thing over the years, and a lot of uh, comedic s- stars like Jim Carrey and whoever, like you can't just be silly and goofy forever until it kind of starts to get a bit sad.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe trying to just like add to their like film legacy and filmography as they mm. get towards the later years, I guess.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Um,
1: and yeah, those last two comedies were not great, so <laughs> probably a good good chance to let's try something different.
0: Yeah, and he's a, he's a really good actor. Like he, It doesn't feel out of place when he's doing those dramatic roles, I think. Adam Scott is um, the next guy I want to talk about. He's uh, just done Severance on Apple TV and another a fantastic series called show. Loot. Sorry, what was that?
1: Uh, Severance, another absolutely fantastic show.
0: Yeah, I've only seen the first couple episodes, I need to get back to that um, when I re-up my Apple subscription, but he's just done another series called Loot, which I I don't really know anything about, but man, I love Adam Scott in this movie, it's such a jarring thing to see when you know him from Parks and Rec, because that's probably his most famous role, I I would say, Um, and he's like the nicest guy, and such a nerdy kind of... Uh, lovable, geeky character. He can play those two polarizing sides of that coin so well. Like you forget after watching Parks and Rec that he can play the total douchebag a hole, and that is exactly who he is in this movie. And he just, he just nails it. He's he's like goes from lovable to hateable in just like that.
1: Oh yeah, he's he comes off as a massive jerk in this one that you just you want to punch in the face. Whilst yeah. in a treehouse.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly, um, and I think that really speaks to his, uh, his obviously his range, but his skill because all those little like mannerisms and cockiness that just come across in the way that he, you know, his body language and the inflections in his voice. He's really great. Like I, th- I think in the oral history they said John Hamm went for this role as well. So there was a lot of you know a lot of big stars that probably wanted to to take part especially coming off you know the movies that Will Ferrell and John C. Riley had done prior to this so he did he did great I don't think he'd done many films up to to this point either like Party Down was uh, filmed just after this so that this was a really like a real baptism of fire as far as like the improv comedy and having to keep up with uh, John C. Riley and Will Ferrell trying not to laugh when they're they're doing all their ridiculous stuff, um, and the same apparently for Catherine Hahn, who um, you know obviously played the wife of Adam Scott's character. She's hilarious in this film, and she's obviously just done one and coming up to the Agatha series. That's I guess filming at the moment, is it, or has has it wrapped
1: filming? Think, Where's that one at? I think they've wrapped filming because it, it's due out early next year, I'm pretty sure, so
0: okay, I'm pretty sure they'd be yep. finished
1: filming now.
0: Yeah, so she's getting all the love for that role as Agatha, um, rightfully so. She's a, a fantastic actor and always kind of played smaller roles, so I'm, I'm really excited to see her in the uh, Agatha series. She was in The Shrink Next Door as well, wasn't she? Was she Will Ferrell's sister? Is uh, that her?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah. Yep. Um Richard Jenkins, who we mentioned, plays the uh the dad, Dr. Robert. Uh he was in Dharma, which um everyone's watched except for me, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a dad <laughs> um, in that too. <laughs> he, yeah, he's a dad. He plays the, the father of the serial killer. Um and then Mary Steen Steenbergen, uh who, as I mentioned, plays Nancy. She has just come off I guess it was a couple of years ago now, Zoe's extraordinary playlist, and that's you know that's the main cast all their recent work have been TV shows um Jamie, do you feel like movies like this don't happen anymore because people just prefer to make TV shows?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, possibly there's probably I guess you can look at it as a, a TV show might not pay as much up front but then you have the potential of the series just getting renewed over and mm-hmm. over and over and over for season after season after season and that just becomes your, your steady income. Like we saw the guys on The Big Bang Theory. They start out doing one season, getting paid very little amounts and mm. by the end of the season, the series' is run, I think they're earning over a million dollars an episode. It's like, yeah. well, there you go.
0: It pays to uh, do TV sometimes. Yeah, I I just think that, um, you know, the premise of this podcast to begin with was that they just don't make movies like this anymore, like com- comedies like this anymore. And especially like back then when I started the show, we were talking about 90s comedies where it was very much built around your big franchise, not franchise, your big like blockbuster name, you know. Robin Williams, Eddie Murphy, Adam Sandler, Jim Carrey. And if you had those names on the poster, people would just go and watch the movie. And I feel like that, you know, died off to an extent with the Will Ferrell, Ben Stiller kind of era, to the point where, apart from the occasional, uh, you know, uh, Seth Rogen movie, or the occasional... um, Kevin Hart movie or something like that we don't really have that same thing and, and movies like comedies don't make box office money like they used to. it's you know we're seeing a lot of them just released directly to the streaming services um, yeah. more than more than other genres I think.
1: and I think a lot of people got burnt by some comedies in like the 90s 2000s era where the trailers looked amazing. And then you would go and see the movie and all the best bits were in the trailer. Yeah. (laughs) So then people kind of just went, I'm not going to go and see comedies in the cinema. I'll just wait till they hit a streaming service. So now, Mm. yeah, like you said, they've kind of died off as cinematic releases and you'll get one every now and then on a Netflix or if it does come to a cinema, it's a short run and then it's quickly on a streaming service.
0: Yeah, I mean, you've got guys like Sandler who have those like direct relationships with Netflix where they'll just make a certain amount of films for them. And then, you know, yeah, really big names like Will Ferrell and P- Paul Rudd and uh, all these guys are just like, I'm just going to do some comedy series n- now. And, you know, but whether it's, you know, uh, something like that goes on Netflix or something on Disney Plus, like a Star Wars series or a marvel series it just seems like the way that we consume uh, our entertainment is evolving and that's to be expected i guess with the internet and accessibility anyway uh let's get into the categories jamie what's the most 2000s moment of stepbrothers uh
1: so i thought about this a, a fair bit actually uh i came up Good. with two it was either the I was watching Cops scene and the reality show that's on in the background of that.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, or Derek singing Ice Ice Baby as a lip sync in his talent <laughs> show.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, it's funny because yeah, Ice Ice Baby is obviously a '90s uh, song, but for someone to be uh, looking back fondly with nostalgia at that, that that is very 2000s. Um, the the thing that I wrote down was I think it's the when the credits are still rolling at the start of the movie is the is it Vampire Weekend that song that's playing at the it's like the Inbetweeners song that's kind of what I know it as. Yep. Um It's it's um it's used as like a almost like a a score in the Inbetweeners and it's the music that's playing as we kind of meet all the characters. Um, I, I wrote down Vampire Weekend. It might not be them. But that song, to me, felt very 2000s. It's the high guitar parts um, of the electric guitar. And maybe it's because I associate it with the in us, which feels very 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Cool. Uh, what, what do you have as the most iconic scene in this film? Because, I mean, I've got a bunch of stuff that I want to talk about, but there's probably a few that stand out as... You know the ones that come to mind when you think of this film.
1: Yeah, this one was super hard to like narrow down to one. I think mm-hmm. I went with bunk beds. That whole scene, yep. like, is one thing that everybody just yeah they they make bunk beds. Um, <laughs> and
0: so much room for activities.
1: Yeah, and don't touch my drum set was another big one for me. They're the main two that yep. jump to mind when I think of this movie, but. There's plenty of others as well.
0: Yeah, there really are just so many things, and, and it's kind of like what I was saying before about it feeling like a series of SNL sketches. Because you know, the bunk beds is is just so perfect, and the way that you just kind of know what's going to happen <laughs> <laughs> when you've seen them constructed. Um, and yeah, even though even when you've seen the movie before, still hilarious. Um, the the scene of of uh, Adam Scott's character and his family singing "Sweet Child of Mine" in the car is one for me that just gets me every time because it's your introduction to that character and just how much of a douche he is, so his even with his own, his own family. Yeah, <laughs> that's oh, great. Um, the job interview, or I guess the dual job interview montage of um, of the of the two step brothers attending the same job interviews and just going disastrously, wearing the tuxedos. It finally looks like it's going to work with uh, with the Seth Rogen character and then he lets off the massive fart. So, yeah, that's that's a pretty funny one. And the, the phrase Catalina Wine Mixer... Oh, yes. There's something just funny about that phrase and the, the reverence that they hold for the the fabled Catalina Wine Mixer. Um, I think that's just so much fun, and and it's a musical moment. Uh, often in doing this podcast, I've noticed the the segments that are remembered are the musical moments. So when he's up there singing and everyone's kind of just like in awe, like he he sings it pretty well. It's he's obviously not like going on American Idol and winning. It's it's it's, it's, it's again it's coming back to that thing we said before of this doesn't take place in our reality cuz if you heard that vo- that singing voice you'd just be like yeah he's fine but everyone's just like oh my gosh <laughs> like it's a, it's the it's the voice of an angel <laughs> yeah it's
1: very ridiculous
0: <laughs> yeah and and then to kind of go from there into a, a drum solo to finish it off it's perfect
1: another um, musical moment that stands and that's out
0: and that also yeah sorry is, uh,
1: the boats and hose film yeah. clip as well that one
0: that too yeah that stands out yeah um <laughs> But that whole Catalina Wine Mixer segment is so good, like with the, the dad coming in and telling the dinosaur <laughs> analogy. Like when, And that was something that they, like I said before, about Adam McKay like writing this movie on the fly. Apparently that whole speech wasn't in the script and they just realized that they needed the father to have this moment with the two boys to kind of bring things full circle. Um, and Adam McKay just came up with this idea like, Tell them that you wanted to be a T Rex <laughs> when you were a kid, <laughs> and that they that life sucked that out of you, <laughs> and that that quote got, um, I mean that speech got quoted by Kanye West in like a GQ interview. Oh, so of course it it's, did. it's it's it's, it's, it's got a Kanye. life of its own. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the last thing I want to mention because we could just name like every scene in this movie, oh, yeah. but um the. Uh, the family dinner when the parents announce that they're getting divorced, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and um, <laughs> they, they just start crying like children. Yep. And D- Dale's like, "Is it because we were bad?" And when he's when when they're just fighting off the tears, and he starts puking.
1: I think I'm gonna throw uh, up. I think I'm gonna throw yeah. up.
0: <laughs> and then then Adam Scott's like taking a photo, and he's like, "I don't want my photo taken." It's so funny and ridiculous, and again, one of those examples where you just know that it would have been really hard to film, because obviously you had to uh, not laugh and break, but then at the same time, you didn't know what they were going to say. They probably said a million different things, and to keep changing it each time. That and the sleepwalking, that would have been the same thing, like with with the sleepwalking, walking and throwing the presents and the Christmas tree on the bed, like would have been so hard to sit there and try and get your lines out while those guys are making those movements, like those herky-jerky, rigid, like, the way that Will Ferrell throws his body around, it's like, it's like he's, you know, his famous audition as a cat playing with a ball of string, like, he's just not an adult man when he's doing that sleepwalk. Yep. So from there, I guess the question would be, what holds up the best? And the thing that I just wrote down was the chemistry between all all these actors, um, particularly John C. Riley and Will Ferrell. But I think everyone just comes together to bring their best. Like, they clearly bring the best out of each other in in that comedic sense, I think. But what did you think holds up the best?
1: I think just, like, the overall idea of, like, adult children still living at home, like, Especially Mm. these days where like buying a house is so ridiculously hard and like the cost of living is only ever going up. So I think like if they wanted to do a sequel now, they could, but it'd be a very different concept. Like it'd be the same theme Mm. of adult children living at home, but you could do it as a more serious movie with comedy elements.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good point. Let's we'll save that discussion for one of our questions later on, because I think that that's um, there's some there is some ways that that could work. Um, but you're totally right. Like, there's been a lot of movies about dumb people. You know, Dumb and Dumber, for example. But the thing that's different here is that they're not only dumb, but they're totally childlike in their like dependence on their parents Mm -hmm. uh, and the way that they interact with each other as like it's it's like the sibling rivalry that's like a childlike thing that they dress like children Um, it's just very funny like children like to just eat
1: chicken nuggets
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, uh, what you know that's that's what holds up the best what holds up the worst
1: probably (laughs) The LGBT slurs that are constantly dropped in this movie?
0: Yes, that's a good one. Every, yes. every time they
1: popped, I was like, oh, that's yeah, you couldn't you couldn't say that today. And I feel like they get yeah. worse as the movie goes on.
0: Yep. And it's it's is it all coming from the Adam Scott character, I think? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, it's um it's like it always is with these films it's it's pretty jarring to hear but at the same time kind of adds to how much you ha- want to hate that guy and how out of place like everything he says is off color basically even when he's just like trying to name drop like that he's was it that he was hanging out with seal and mark yeah, cuban and, the with mark guys.
1: and someone
0: yeah <laughs> the cubes um the other thing that popped up that was pretty dated was uh retards like that's just something that after the you know 2010s you just would probably not be it wouldn't be allowed to get that you know past the uh studio heads just too offensive um but then that 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 comment comes from uh john c reilly's character uh talking about why oh the I, i think it's saying that his his dad and him don't like uh Brendan mm-hmm. at all um, or, or something. It's just something like that. So it's, it's just kind of um, characters being mean to each other in, in those extreme ways that, um, you know, I guess they go, it's, it's like they're going back to the schoolyard insults of, you know, our childhood basically, which is kind of true to what they were making at the time. But, you know, we're talking about how it holds up. It's been 14 years, and it's you just wouldn't include that kind of language, I think now. No, yeah, it's too loaded. Yeah, not in a modern. There's, there's movie. too much. Yeah, there's just there's too like I guess um, the people that are particularly hurt by that those terms and slurs would have more of a voice now to say that this isn't cool, and um, people thankfully listen to that kind of thing. The it's interesting like Roger Ebert you know one one of the great critics didn't like this movie and he thought that it felt too mean-spirited and I wonder if that was the kind of thing that he was referring to or maybe he didn't like Adam Scott's character or just the the way that um the two-step brothers are kind of at each other for a good chunk of the film but yeah I, I don't know I, I I didn't feel like it ended and I felt like the movie was overly mean-spirited. Like, it it ends on a, the Catalina wine mixer where everyone kind of gets their comeuppance or their redemption. So, I didn't walk away feeling like, oh, I just felt like I was laughing at people for the wrong reason. No,
1: I I didn't get that sense either. Like, yeah, there is a lot of, like, mean attacking each other and bullying in a sense, but no, I don't think any of it is, <laughs> yeah, mean-spirited. I think it's all just, like, i got to say this just to try and better you some way, somehow, even yeah. if I don't, like, really mean it.
0: Yeah, and when Adam Scott's character is... And, and Rob Riggle, as kind of his um, colleague, are uh, being mean, you know. Rob Riggle's telling <laughs> Will Ferrell that he just doesn't like his face. <laughs> um, it's clearly, like, these are bad people, and we're supposed to sympathise with uh with the the victim of, of those insults not like laugh at them i think uh so the next question is who would be most offended i think that what we've just talked about kind of touches off uh, t- covers off on that is there anything else that's worth throwing out there
1: uh no yeah i just thought the the lgbt community would definitely yeah. be at the top of that list
0: yeah sure does Step Brothers pass the internet relevancy test via memes and gifs? I think it definitely does. What What do you think? Yeah,
1: I said it definitely does as well. Like, you, if you just look at like the gifs on Facebook Messenger or Twitter or anything, like, yeah. did we just become best friends? Is a massive one. So much room definitely. for activities, yeah. and then yeah. the John C. Riley saying "yup" is a big one as well
0: true yeah um will ferrell saying saying you sound insane that's another one so yeah there's a lot of lines that can get used but those ones you mentioned the did we just become best friends and yep this (laughs) they pop up all the time did we just become best friends is such a great one because the nature of especially twitter is like sharing your likes and dislikes with your community on, on social media, with your network, with your timeline and finding, oh, this person's into the same band that I'm into, or this person knows that movie that came out when I was in high school. I thought nobody watched it. We're, we're now best friends. Like it just, it just fits a lot of um, scenarios. So yeah, it, it's uh, very memeable and I think uh, gets a big old Tick for this yeah, one. Yeah, the, uh,
1: the Catalina Wine Mixer is another one. Like any anytime somebody has a big party, it's like it's the Catalina Wine Mixer type atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. And the uh, this wedding is horse <laughs> one as well. Like anytime somebody hates <laughs> an event that they're at, that one popped yeah. up. For me.
0: Okay, I have to admit I haven't seen that one, but it it, it fits. Um, the Catalina Wine Mixer one. So not only is it internet relevant, but it's permeated into just pop culture in general because there was i think it was like an nfl team had just won the super bowl or something and the quote that was caught on camera was like we're going to the catalina wine or or something like that um so i think it was the saints when when they won Uh, that was part of that oral history that i read so yep it's um the characters in in or sorry the actors in the film have been Surprised how much this gets quoted back to them in public and and that kind of thing. How would modern smartphones and social media change this movie? Um,
1: I don't think it would change it a huge amount. I think the the Mm. biggest potential change would be they'd be playing a lot more video games during the movie. And instead of becoming like Uh a band, they might try and become YouTube or TikTok influencers. (laughs)
0: yeah i could see that yeah here's how to build a bunk bed yeah (laughs) turn two beds yeah they just got
1: a youtube video playing on how to do it
0: yeah and that's when it collapses yeah i could see that happening which that's a good segue into like whether you could make this today and what it would look like i think you know you alluded to it before but i think you could make it now and it would be interesting to see like John C. Riley and Will Ferrell, maybe it's like the parents, if that would work, like whether they're now um, going through the same thing. Maybe they've each got a partner that they've married that has a kid. And I, I don't know if they'd be step-siblings, step, br- step siblings, but, you know, it would be some kind they of... You call
1: it like step-dads or something.
0: Yeah, it could be... Yeah. It could be anything. Like it could be camping buddies and they go like it's it's like a you know, uh wedding crashes type thing where they're just stuck in a house together. Like it, it could be anything that just brings those two families back together again and the shenanigans as they try to parent or they have step yeah, step step dads, yeah. And they have these kids that just sit on sit on iPads, iPads all day themselves. and they're
1: trying to crack them out of that mould or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the, the other, like, there's two directions you can kind of go with, like, what could you make it today? The other one is maybe not what a sequel would look like, but if you were making this from scratch, you know, recasting it, I, I wondered if, like, uh, Seth Rogen and James Franco would be able to do a, a similar kind of thing. they probably, like, the the new version of, of John C. Riley and, or the newer version of John C. Riley and, and Will Ferrell, and just the fact that they have this great chemistry together.
1: Yeah, I would also like to maybe see like one with stepsisters. Like get like a Millie Bobby yep. Brown and uh, what's the girl from The Last of Us show?
0: Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know her name because I haven't watched uh, yeah, any the, Game, the of, Thrones, Game but, of Thrones. The girl from Game of Thrones. Put those two together yeah. and just let
1: them have this silly comedy. Like dynamic, I think that could be an interesting modern twist.
0: Yeah, that to be, they have to really be able to pull off the, I guess, um, the immaturity factor. I mean, I, I think one of the reasons this movie works is because, like, if you're going with a grounded thing, that would certainly work. But if you are trying to replicate this movie in the modern era with the same kind of comedy, like, the reason that I think it works is because they're so old. <clears throat> like they're both they're both in their forties and the age gap between Will Farrell and his mum in reality is only like fifteen years. Like she look doesn't look yep. that much older than him. And I don't know what the age gap is on, on Jonathan C. Riley's side, but I I feel like it would be similar. Like there's not that much. <laughs> Here's a little bit of useless trivia before we move on. You mentioned this is a, a movie you just love to throw in the uh, throw on whenever you want something in the background. You're in good company because Joaquin Phoenix says this is the movie he's seen the most <laughs> of all That's films.
1: That's a very <laughs> interesting it. pick from him. Not what I would have thought.
0: Yeah. I uh, know. Um he seems like such a serious dude, but I guess when he's at home he just wants to have a laugh. He chucks on Step Brothers and um You know, he's human. (laughs) I don't feel so bad
1: about my choices.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Alright, it's time for the Steve Buscemi Spark Plug Award. Steve
1: Buscemi. A real spark plug.
0: Here we're going to reward the uh, actor who shows up briefly throughout the film and just steals the show or gives it everything they've got. There's a few nominees that I wanted to mention. It would be really easy to just give it to like Catherine Hahn or to Adam Scott but I think that they're in the movie too much so I've nominated Seth Rogen for his short cameo uh, Ken Jeong has an even shorter appearance uh, Rob Riggle is fantastic and then Horatio Sands playing the uh, Billy Joel wedding singer I think I want to give it to Rob Riggle he is so mean um <laughs> In the both the, like the the office space, but then also at the Catalina Wine Mixer, um, as I alluded to, telling Will Ferrell that he just, even though you've done a good job, there's just something about your face that I just don't like it. So change it. Yep.
1: And the, the scene where he's just like constantly just saying pow.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and like again, like you can just see. There's like so many outtakes and variations of his different reactions to that, and 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 there's the the part where uh, Adam Scott says that he oh, I can't remember the quote now, but he says something like you know Will Ferrell's like oh. he did he actually eat someone's mm-hmm. penis, <laughs> and he's like yes he did it
1: was in, it was in the international waters so it doesn't really count but I saw it
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly that that's definitely reeks of uh, of the improv. F- Feel So I think Rob Riggle has earned it, as much as um, Horatio was quite funny with his uh, Billy Joel singer who refuses to sing uh, Piano Mm -hmm. Man. (laughs) All right, we're up to the last question, Jamie. Is Step Brothers still a good movie?
1: I think so. For me, it's still absolutely hilarious and I think, yes, stands Mm -hmm. the test of time as a good movie. Although you do have to give it that caveat of... You'd need to be prepared for this style of silly off the wall humour. Like if you go in expecting a highbrow comedy, you're gonna be very, very disappointed.
0: Yeah. It's not, not always Anderson movie. It's a it's a Judd Apatow movie, but it's not even like a typical Judd Apatow movie. It's uh it's probably the silliest of, of all those films. Like even An Anch- Anchorman is a an similar film where like it doesn't take place in our reality it's so far-fetched and ridiculous and no one could ever think or talk like these characters but it's it's probably more along those lines uh where you really have to switch your brain off not you can't over analyze it you can't look for plot holes <laughs> you just have to enjoy Will Ferrell and John C Riley doing what they do if you're not a Will Ferrell fan, like if you're someone that finds him annoying or whatever, you're not going to have a good time, even though in, you're crazy.
1: In saying that, my mum doesn't like Will Ferrell and she watched it with me when I rewatched it this weekend and was laughing even though she was like, I hate Will Ferrell.
0: I think right, because so it's, almost like it's, it's that <laughs> ridiculous that
1: it even gets the people that don't like the actors.
0: Yeah. Well, that's that says a lot about the, uh, the silliness that you can't help but enjoy it, even if you, like, my wife would be similar, I think, if she watched it, she would say, this is so dumb, but then, eventually, if she stuck it out, there'd be something that just, you know, we get to the <laughs> divorce scene, or the sleepwalking, and it's like, okay, that's pretty funny, um, you just can't help laughing at some of that stuff, like, even when I re rewatched it, you know, earlier this week, and then... Doing, reading the the oral history of it on on the Ringer, they'd mention scenes where they'd say like, oh, so and so was couldn't stop laughing in this scene. So I'd like go back and rewatch the scene to see if I could see them break. Um, and just even rewatching a couple of the clips on YouTube, I think I laughed harder today than I did when I was watching it earlier in the week. Like it's just, it's just so so fun and it, it's, it's clear how much fun they were having making it and that just makes it more enjoyable. Um, it's, it's like watching Jackass mm-hmm. or something in that extent where like part of the fun is like you're with these people that are having a good time and it comes across. Yeah,
1: and like you said, it's very much like a Saturday Night Live, just like a sketch comedy show where not every joke is going to hit and make you laugh but when they do mm-hmm. you're going to be laugh out loud like laughing
0: yeah and unlike a lot of SNL sketches this has a a good ending <laughs> like when when it ends with the boat in the in the treehouse it's pretty funny um there's some good outtakes or some good kind of extra scenes in the the credits yeah i think all around if you if you like irreverent comedy it's it's going to hold up well um if you haven't watched this movie for a long time it's worth going back to especially since i feel like these movies don't really happen anymore um and you don't get this combination of comedic talent on screen all at once there's there's still a lot of great comedies don't get me wrong it's just um it's just a little bit different i think but I'm glad that we could uh, rewatch it. Thanks for coming on the show, Jamie. My
1: pleasure. And yeah, just a note like, strangely, it's not on any streaming services at the moment.
0: Yeah. It yeah, is that is very weird. That is unusual. Get your act together, Netflix or whoever else. I swear like,
1: it used to be on Netflix, and I, I went to watch it and was like, oh, no, I have to rent this. Okay.
0: Yeah. I think up until very recently it was because I kind of have a list that I keep of films that I want to do on the podcast, and I've definitely seen it there or on stand or somewhere but anyway um dear listeners thanks for listening of course you can subscribe if you haven't already share the podcast with your friends grab your 8-bit merch over at shop8bit.net if you want to chip in a few dollars to help what we do you can head to our ko-fi page that's ko-fi.com slash we are 8-bit you can leave your podcast reviews in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser. Those also do a lot to help us out. and They don't cost you a thing. Jamie, where can we find you on the socials and what have you got coming out that we should be looking forward to? Uh, so the
1: best place is the website pariomagazine.com.au All the links and everything are there. Uh, next thing out is the November issue of the magazine featuring Hugh Sheridan and Ella Hooper as the the two sort of major interviewees and I'm excited to start rolling that out this week coming.
0: Very good, very good. You can catch me on socials at Jono himself. Dear listeners, thank you once again for joining us on Comedy Rewind. Be kind.